The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Today's scripture text is Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and 28. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Amen. Thank you for that. Well, good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you here at Bethlehem Baptist. Uh, What a deep, deep honor, privilege to be here uh, in a church that for decades has sought to uh, draw attention to the nations and to the desire of God to have his name glorified, magnified around the world. And so I'm deeply grateful for that message that has gone out from this church in a very clear and compelling way for a long time and pray that in the coming days, I know big changes have been happening, but may the best days still be ahead where that message will go out stronger and stronger so that many, many will be involved in that and that many around the world will have the opportunity uh, to hear and see the good and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kenny, Pastor Brad, for the invite to be here uh, it's a deep honor. Thank you for your work with your global partners. I know there's well over 100 that uh, now the three churches are engaged with. We have two with us in OM, uh, Sean and Heather German. They're now part of the North Campus, I believe, uh, and uh, we are just grateful that you've stood with them. Uh, as you can tell, I'm not from here. Uh, I live in Georgia now currently, but I come from Uh, Northern Ireland originally. I hope you've already guessed that. And uh, we have a very unique connection to this church that most of you may not know about, but uh, your choir has gone to the little town that I grew up in, in Northern Ireland, connected to a guy called Samuel Chestnut, who studied here for three months, stole one of your best as his wife. I believe it was Kenny's assistant, (laughs) which he's still a little bitter about, I think. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, But Samuel uh, grew up in the same little town and is doing a wonderful work over there. But just one of the moments that I saw on Facebook a few years back now, I think, Chuck, uh, when this happened. But uh, there's a little tiny town up in the the foothills of the Mountains of Mourne, which is where I grew up, uh, called Adikol. It's 100% a Roman Catholic town and very, very few of us folks from uh, the neighboring towns who were... uh, from, you know, Baptist church, Presbyterian churches, ever went there, ever uh, even thought of going there. But there was Bethlehem Baptist Church Choir singing the praises of God in that Catholic church. And it was just, wow, what an amazing moment that God's name rang out in that place. And I'm deeply grateful then for this church and the work of Samuel and Laura in, in, uh, in that way. 
You know, as you come to this Global Focus Week, I believe it's been kicked off now and uh, you're going to go on through this week with a number of different things. I, I don't know what you're thinking. You know, you see the global partners coming and you pray for them, you give to them, and uh, you cheer them on, which is a wonderful thing. Please keep doing that. Uh, but if you're anything like the people that I get to meet on a regular basis, and even uh, what I was like at, at different parts of my life, maybe the Global Focus Week is one of those weeks where you say, yeah, I'll go. I like to hear the stories, and this will help me pray a little bit more. Uh, it helps me understand where the money I give is going. And, and maybe after that, it's like, and that's my part. Uh, maybe because of guys like me and how we've talked about missions, you might feel that either you're excused from doing anything more than that, or maybe excluded from doing anything more than that. You're ex excluded because uh, you uh, have heard the way it's been presented and you don't feel part of that. You're excused because you think, well, I I've, never, I've, never really, um, I've never really had a call into that. I, I don't think I could do that. I'm quite happy to be a participant of God's love, but I never have felt, I've never felt that, that God has called me to be a full participant with him in his mission in the world. And so I feel excused. I can get on with my own life. I, I can, in a sense, write my own story. And, and I hear this over and over again, and I've been guilty of it myself. I am the author of my story, and I get to determine, you know, what is my career going to look like? What, is, what are the things I want to accomplish in my life? What is my uh, retirement plan? What's my career plan? Uh, how many houses am I going to have? How many cars? How many boats or whatever? And we build our story for ourselves. And then, then as Christians, we know we need, God needs to be a part of that. And we somehow have the audacity to say, God, can you come and be part of my story? Because uh, there's a part for you in here. There's a, a God-shaped hole in my life. And so I want you to come and be part of the story that I've written for myself. Will you come bless my story? And here's the reality, folks. God does not want to be part of my story. God does not want to be part of your story. Why? Because he is the author of the story. It's his grand and glorious story that we read about in Scripture. He is the author. And you know, if you're anything like me, I suck as an author. I don't want to be part of my story because I'm not that good at coming up with things. I can give you 50 plus years now of mistakes, blunders, things I thought I should have done, ways I wanted to go that really didn't work out so good. I don't want to be the author. I want God to be the author because he is the ultimate author. And here's the amazing thing, folks. He has written us into his story, not just as recipients of his love, but as full participants. And so if you have come into this week saying, well, that's not for me, I'm excused, I want you maybe to listen up this morning because I believe no one is excused and no one is excluded from the story of God in the world as full participants. Maybe you're here and, and you feel excluded. Why? Because you have questions in your mind. You, 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 know, you know what the global partners do. You read the stories of William Carey and Adoniram Judson, and you think, when I think of their lives, I have this massive question. Am I worthy to be used like they're being used? You see, Andrew, you don't know the things I've done, and I don't. Or you don't know what's been done to me that make me feel that I am not worthy to participate with God in the world and in his mission in the world. So I, I have a huge question. Am I worthy to be used by God? 
Maybe there's some of you here this morning and you have a big question. Am I called by God? You know, I've never really seen a burning bush. (laughs) I, I have a donkey in my backyard and it has never spoken to me to tell me to go do something. So am I called? Am I permitted? Because I have never experienced that calling that I've read a little about in the Bible. Or maybe some of you are asking the question, am I able? What do I have to bring to God? What do I have to offer to God that He could use me in His grand and glorious purposes in the world? So am I able? And maybe another question is, well, can I go? Can I go? Do I have permission to go to the nations and be part of what God is doing in the world. So these questions might be in your minds. I hope there's nobody who's getting into the excuse bucket. There may be a few. That's not me. I I can get on with my own story. But there may be many of you feel in the excluded bucket. I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not called. I'm not able. I'm not sure I can go. I had a a pet parrot, or we had a pet parrot in our home. It was an Amazon, a yellow-naped Amazon parrot. So that means he's a a bird about the size of a crow. He was green with a little yellow patch in the back of his head. And Rudy was a very interesting bird. He was hand-raised by a lady from North Carolina, uh, which was hilarious because he talked like a lady from North Carolina. (laughs) Actually, screamed would be a better word for it. And uh, that was quite funny in a home of Northern Irish folks was this lady from North Carolina sitting in the corner of our house screaming at her kids when they would run or do, uh, get up to mischief because uh, she obviously did that with her grandkids. Um, but Rudy, uh, Rudy was an interesting bird uh, primarily because of this human imprint uh, as he was hand-raised by this lady. Uh, Rudy never learned how to fly. So Rudy had all his wing feathers, They were never clipped. It was never broken. But Rudy never learned how to fly. So he was never in a cage. He sat on a perch in the corner of our our living room. And from time to time, he would climb down and decide to walk around the floor, which became his undoing because uh, as he walked around the floor, he started to eat furniture. So Rudy is now in somebody else's home eating furniture uh, because my wife uh, didn't tolerate that. But Rudy, because of important truths about who and what he was, never learned how to fly. He had no example in his life to teach him to fly. He was missing truth that caused him to miss out on the very thing he was created to do and ended up living a life that was less than than what was intended for him. He lived a diminished life. And I think, folks, that is often so true of us as the people of God. Sometimes, because the messages of the world come so hard and fast at us, literally tens of thousands of messages every day coming at us to try and conform us into a way of thinking, and and sometimes the examples of the world come brighter and, and louder and thicker and faster at us, that we start to believe some of those lies. And sometimes when that happens, we start to embody those and we end up, like Rudy, living an incomplete, a diminished, even a distorted life as we conform to the pattern of the world. And instead of living in the fullness of what we were created to be, we live like Rudy. And here's the thing, when that happens, not only do we personally experience a less than existence, Not only do we live in a way that's way lower than what God had intended for us, the world around us, the people and places and spaces that God has put us in, 
the community we live and work in misses out on the love, the joy, the peace, the goodness, the patience, the kindness, the generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the beauty and order that we were created to bring into the world. They miss out on the salt that our lives were intended to flavor that community with, the light that we were intended to bring, both here in Minneapolis and around the world where so few have gone. And it shapes and conforms us into that pattern, and we live a less-than life with this idea, I'm not worthy, I'm not called, I'm not able, I can't go. But I want to take us back to the big story, God's story. I want us to move away from the story we might have written by ourselves that causes us to ask those questions. I wanted to move us to move away from uh, any pattern the world has conformed us into and take us back to the story of God, the grand and glorious story of God, right back to the beginning. We're going to start at the very beginning of that story and ask the question, how does God see us? And what did he make us for? And in Genesis 1, we, we heard it read just in those few moments. I just want to read it again for you. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And, and then down in, in verse 27 again, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So here we have at the beginning of time, the writer is telling us that God created humanity. And here's, here's the big point of Genesis 1, folks. Here, here's the thing. I believe the author of Genesis was trying to get through to these Israelites that had, had suffered during their time in, in Egypt. He was trying to help them to see who they were and why they existed. Two of the biggest questions humanity has been asking from the very beginning of time. Who am I and why do I exist? Right here in the beginning of the Bible, the author of Genesis makes it really clear. You are made. We are made in the image of God. Now, that may flow over our heads and we think, well, that must mean we're a little bit like God and not really sure what that means. But the original readers of this passage would have had no doubt what that meant. You see, this idea of being made in the image of God was a well-used phrase in the ancient world. But here's the thing. It was only used for the pharaohs, the kings and queens of the day. They were the only ones that were regarded as being made in the image of God. And this is important to note. These were the specially set-aside ones that God somehow had entrusted everything He wanted to do in the world to go through them. Nothing would get done but through these few specially set-apart people that were called the pharaohs of the day. And the writer's saying, that was not how God planned the world. God's intent was that all of humanity would be His image bearers. All of humanity would be his image bearers. And what did that mean? Well, it meant two things. There, there's two aspects of this phrase or this, 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 this marker made in the image of God. The first one was it denoted a relationship or an identity with God. Because right alongside this idea of being made in the image of God was the idea that you were a son or daughter of God. You were a child of God. And so the writer in Genesis is saying, you, you are a child of God. As an image bearer of God, you're a child of God. You have this relationship with the Father. God made you for a relationship, that you would be his child. This is who you are. This is your identity. Now, we know that sin came into the world. We know that Satan tried to distort the image of God in humanity so that they, they couldn't 
fulfill the purpose for which God created them, but we know that God relentlessly pursued his people for, a people for himself and through Christ redeemed and restored a people for himself. Over in Ephesians uh, 1 and verse 4, I love this passage. Actually, Chuck mentioned it, I believe, in his prayer, or maybe it was Bud. He said, even before he made the world, so before he laid the foundations of the earth, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So you see, Paul is saying here, yes, God had a plan from the very beginning of time. It didn't start with time. It started in eternity. He wanted a people for himself, a people that he would call his children, he would bring into his family, that he would love, he would choose this was God's intent from the very beginning. And so the writer in Genesis tells us, yes, this is what God wanted. You as his image bearer are his child. Paul's saying in Christ, that original identity is back in play. You are a child of God. Who is a child of God? All of those who are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. And that image bearing attribute is back in play. Now, this gets important when we go on to ask not only who are we, but why do we exist? In the who are we question, it, 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 it answers that question, am I worthy? <laughs> Paul says you've been made worthy through Christ. Am I worthy to participate with God in his world? He's saying you have been made worthy through Christ. It is Christ's work in and through us that we have been made worthy. But the image bearer held a second idea. Not only were you a son and daughter of God, you were a representative of God. So the image bearer idea talked about identity, but it also speaks to purpose. And this is critical, folks, because in America, I've noticed this, and it's not just America, it's, it's the Western world and where I grew up as well. We are on a constant pursuit to determine our purpose, right? I'm not sure if I find my purpose. I'm looking for my purpose. Any, can I get some help in determining my purpose? To which the Bible says, stop. Nothing that was ever created got to determine its purpose. Only the creator determines the purpose. And the purpose comes first. Paul tells us when we read down further in Ephesians 1, uh, to verse 12 to 14, he says, God made us, brought us into his family, give us this identity. Why? That we would be for the praise of his glory. In other words, that our purpose would be to represent him in the world, to represent his glory, to let his glory shine through our lives in everything we do. And so right here in Genesis 1, from this idea of being an image bearer, we see that our purpose, the purpose for all of humanity was to represent God in the world. It just wasn't going to be the pharaohs, this one or two handful of people that would represent God in the earth. All of humanity, every single person, was created to represent God. Again, sin tried to distort it. Christ redeemed and restored. And Paul says, we are back in play again as his children to live for the praise of his glory. He goes on to say, and whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Why? Because you were made to represent God. So you know that word whatever in Greek? This is what it means. It means whatever. <laughs> whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whether you go to work, show up on a Monday morning at work, when you're there, represent God. 
When you're in your neighborhood, represent God. When you're on the pickleball field, represent God. When you're in the soccer field, represent God. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, represent God. Why? Because there's no other reason for your existence. This was the purpose given to you from day one of creation and restored again in Christ and through Christ. Made to represent God. So our who is we're children of God, made holy through Christ, which answers the question, am I worthy? You've been made worthy. Our why, our purpose is we've been made to represent God in everything we do. So when we ask the question, am I called? The reality, folks, is this. When we think of calling in light of the, the, the burning bush and the, and the, and the donkey, this, the purpose of God is not something you're called to, as we would define it that way. You're not called to the purpose of God. You were made for the purpose of God. There is no other reason for your existence. And so our purpose then is not something we explore or find. Our purpose is something we embrace because that's what we were created for. Well, you may say that's well and good, Andrew. We've heard that probably many times from this pulpit. But what does it look like? How do I live that out in the world? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want to turn over to Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite passages, uh, verses in Scripture. It's the follow-on from the very well-used uh, one where we've been saved by grace uh, through faith. Uh, and, and Paul goes on to say, For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. And this speaks to the how of our why and the how of our who. Uh, we've been made worthy through Christ as, his ch- as God's children. We've been given this grand and glorious purpose to represent him in the world in whatever we do, wherever we go to represent him in the world. And then Paul goes on to say, in the, in the, I believe in the context of Ephesians 1, before the, he laid the foundations of the earth, Paul's now saying what else he had decided in advance was the good works for his people to do. This masterpiece, this poem of God, this idea of, of God's people living in harmony with him, uh, bringing his shalom to the earth, bringing his goodness, his glory to the earth in everything they do. Paul's saying that before God made us, he thought of what he wanted us to do, and then he made us in such a way to do it. Now, I believe this passage, and I don't have time to fully pi- unpack this, but I believe this passage speaks uh, maybe first and foremost to the people of God and how they would live in the world as, as his representatives. But I also believe it speaks to us as individuals that God has uniquely shaped every one of you. He didn't just create us all the same way to do the same things as his representative because he needed the whole of creation to be cared for and cultivated. He wanted us to represent uh, him in a sense to rule on his behalf, Genesis 1 tells us, in every space that he places us. So he's made us all different. And in my book, I I use the acronym SHAPE that I borrowed uh, to describe how we've been uniquely shaped. Uh, S is for spiritual gifts. We've all been given spiritual gifts. He wants us to use that for his glory, to represent him. He's given us a heart or passions, things that we're passionate about, things that when we see them happen in in the world, we get angry. They shouldn't be happening. Things that we see happening in the world that make us glad and we want to see more of it happening. Things that you're passionate about. Pay attention to those things. Now, because of the distortion through the conforming messages of the world, the Satan wants you to use those to represent you and his ways, for you to write them into your story. But God has given us those passions for one thing and one thing alone, and that is his glory. 
his name, his renown, to represent him in the world, that we mirror God's goodness through the things that we're passionate about so that they can see his goodness through us. Our abilities is A. So spiritual gifts, heart or passions, abilities. God has given you all unique abilities. Some of you are really good with numbers, some with business, some with sports, some with making things better as an engineer or good with your hands to build things. Some of you are really good uh, in the whole healthcare world. God has given us all different abilities. And he wants us to use those in the context of our passions to come together so that wherever we are, we represent him as we use our unique shape. And sometimes in the missions world, folks, and I've been guilty of this, of this as, as anybody, we said those things are of you and cannot be used in the mission of God, and so lay them aside and come do this thing we call missions. What I believe from, as I read Scripture is that nothing I have is off me or from me, nothing that I was created to be. Everything I was created to be was given to me by God for God. So whatever passions I have, whatever abilities I have were given to me by God for God. And when I wrap them around his purpose, when I focus them on them on God's glory, when I seek to use them to represent him, not me, then they become fully what they were intended to be for his purposes. P is personality. We have all different personalities. Pay attention to that. Some of us are extroverts. We get our energy from being around people. Make sure if that's who you are, you don't take a job in a library or a laboratory. (laughs) If you're an introvert and and people suck you dry, don't become a salesperson. (laughs) Pay attention to your personality, and I'll explain briefly in a moment why. And then E is experience, your vocational experience, your educational experience, your life experiences, the good experiences, the bad experiences. Somehow God in his redemptive purposes is pulling that together to continue to shape you into who he created you to be in the context of the image of Christ in you. And as we discover who God has made us to be and then point it towards his glory, I believe, folks, we are the most brilliant reflection of God on the planet. We're the most brilliant reflection of God on the planet. I have traveled to 85 countries now. I have the privilege of being in the organization I am. And I've seen wonderful things. I've seen the Alps. I saw the Grand Canyon. I've seen the Great Barrier Reef. And what do we do as Christians when we look over a beautiful piece of scenery? You've all done it. You'll stand at the edge and you'll look over it. And something like this will come from your mouth. Wow, isn't God amazing? Right? But here's the thing, folks. That's true. And I love it when I see the amazing works of God in creation. But here's the thing. They're only rocks. Right? But you... You are made in the image of God out of all of creation to be his child with the sole purpose of representing him in everything you do. And he has uniquely shaped you to do it brilliantly in the world when your passions and abilities and everything he's put inside you are transformed to be used according to his purposes. We become the most brilliant most visible reflection of God here on earth as we portray his goodness 
through our lives. My question then for myself then often is, when is the last time somebody looked at my life and went, wow, isn't God amazing? So often I feel that it's because I'm not representing him. I'm representing my own interests, my own stated purposes. I'm chasing those, not him. I'm not being acting like his child. But what would it look like if all of the people of God, redeemed and restored through Christ, embraced their identity as his child, made worthy, embraced the purpose they were given to represent God, embraced the shape he had given them to be, not trying to be something you're not, not trying to be somebody else, but be who God made you to be the most, and be the most brilliant reflection. What would happen? There's a story of a lady I met in a country in the Middle East. Her name is Mary. I remember it well sitting in the coffee shop. She was a nurse with an educational background, and she had gone there. She just simply said, you know, I, I knew that all of my life was to represent God. I was a nurse, and I wanted to be the best nurse I could be so that people would see Jesus through me. And I found a part of the world that no people or few people knew Jesus. So she just moved there, took on a job in this big hospital in this part of the world. Very quickly, her boss pulled her aside and said, look, Mary, we've been watching your life and the way you do nursing is just so, so good. We want all of the nurses to nurse like you, uh, Mary. Would you teach all of the nurses to be like you? She so going, yep. There's a thing called the Great Commission told me I should be doing this. And so she brought all the nurses in and she trained the nurses. How, how do you come alongside somebody and love them and care for them? How do you come alongside the families? And that's what she did. Not long after that, the CEO of the hospital started to hear the reports coming back that something had changed. And he called the nursing supervisor and said, hey, I'm seeing this. What happened? And he said, well, it's Mary. He said, I need to meet Mary. So he met Mary and he said, look, Mary, based on what I see, is there any way you could help all the rest of the staff, the doctors, the surgeons, the specialists, to be like you? And so she uh, trained the rest of the hospital. Not long after that, that hospital won a major award for excellence in medical care through Mary's work. And the CEO of the hospital got great honor in that country because of that. And she was asked to be the direct report of the CEO from that point on. But in that context, people, as she was the best nurse that she could possibly be, representing God every day, people started to pay attention. And they came to Mary and said, Mary, why? Can you give me a reason for the way you live your life like this. What makes you like that? How can I be like that? And so she would invite these ladies, because of the context of the country, it was only going to be ladies, into these little groups where she opened up the teachings of Jesus and explained fully why she lived the way she did and invited them to also follow Jesus. And Mary has a bunch of these little groups that she has led in that part of the world. People that have found her Savior, through the witness of her life. What would it look like if we all lived like Mary in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, that people saw something that said, I want to live my life the way. There's something about your life. There's a love, there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a patience that I see, that I long for. How do I find that? And they're drawn to the Savior. Well, Last point, uh, we've heard the why. Am I able 
or sorry, am I uh, worthy? You've been made worthy. The why, am I called? You're not called to this purpose of God. You're made for this purpose of God, nothing else. Am I able? You've been uniquely shaped to do this. But can I go? Well, in Genesis 1, at the very start of the, of the story of God, God turns to these human beings that he's created. Now, we know from Ephesians 1, he had a plan from the, before he laid the foundations of the earth that they would be his people for the praise of his glory uniquely shaped to live it out. And he turns to them and he says, would you be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth? Right at the very beginning of our job description as human beings, the nations were inserted. Fill the earth. In other words, God was saying, would you go make more of who I created you to be, my children made to represent me, uniquely shaped to do it? Go fill the earth until the whole earth gets to experience what it feels like to have my image bearers care for and cultivate and live and, and, and glorify my name in these places. Fast forward a few thousand years and you have God the Son standing on a hillside in the ancient Near East, turning to those that had followed him and repeats something incredibly similar. Basically this, would you go make more of who I created you to be? Teach them to do everything I taught you. Teach them to live the way I've taught you to live so that all nations would get to experience this. The job description of the nations, the nations on our job description as reiterated by Christ. And we go to the end of the story. And we already sung it this morning and we see it both in Revelation 7 and in Revelation 21 and 22 that there's a time where all nations, all nations will be represented. So when we think of can I go, are the nations for me? You know, folks, I believe they're already on your job description. Why not? Why not find a place in the world where there are fewer Jesus followers? Start here for sure where you are because there's lots of non-Jesus non followers where you are. But what if we put the nations back into our own personal job description and say, where in the world could I go and be the nurse that I am, the engineer that I am, the dentist that I am, the, the electrician that I am, and go somewhere to be that where God is less known so that his glory will be seen through my life, so that the gospel would go out through my life as people watched and asked for a reason. I bring them together and we represent God in that place just like Mary did because that's what we were made for. That's what we were made for. And so as we come to the end, the question is no longer, am I worthy? Because we've been made worthy. The question is no longer, am I called? Because you were made for this. The question, I believe, is no longer, am I able? Because God has uniquely shaped you for the very purpose to which he's created you. The question I actually don't even think is, can I go? I think it's already in your job description to go into Minneapolis, into the surrounding regions, and even to the ends of the earth so that the three billion who have never heard the gospel, seen the gospel lived out, will get to see it. We should be concerned about that because it's on our job description. So it's not these questions that's on the table this morning, I believe. Those have been taken off the table by the one who created you. The question I believe that's on the table today for us, every one of us, is this, am I surrendered? 
Am I surrendered to the grand and glorious story of God to which, for which he has written me into, into which he's written me? Am I surrendered to that? My identity, my purpose, and the roles for which he has made me to do in the world, have I surrendered them into his grand and glorious plan? Because when we live for something else, we live for something less. And when we step into that, we step into the very purpose for which we were created, the grand and glorious purpose of God, and we become the most brilliant reflection. I had another bird. His name was Peter. He wasn't a parrot. He was what you call a parakeet over here or a budgie. And Peter was a little yellow bird about this size here. I got, he was given to me because he had a pigeon chest and budgies don't, shouldn't have a pigeon chest. And uh, when Peter would fly around our living room, he would end up collapsed on the floor. Just after one lap, collapsed on the floor, panting with wings out on the floor. And I was convinced Peter couldn't fly. A few, probably two years after I got Peter, I, I had him out one day. He was on my shoulder. I went upstairs to get changed and we were having our usual monologue because uh, Peter couldn't talk. Uh, so it was just me talking to him. And, and uh, he all of a sudden heard a noise downstairs. So he flew down the hallway, took a 180 turn and, and glide, you know, went down the stairs. And at the bottom of our stairs in our little house in Kilkeel, there was a, the front door and a living room door. The front door was straight on. The living room door was a left turn. The, the living room door was closed. The front door was wide open. So Peter went straight out the front door. My mom shouted, Peter's out. I ran down the stairs in panic because I was afraid of Peter flying away. Well, by the time I got to the halfway down the stairs, I realized Peter can't fly. So I'm thinking he's out in the front yard with his wings open and his beak open, panting like crazy like he normally does. So I slowed down, walked out into the front yard, looked everywhere for Peter, no sign of Peter. And then I looked up into the sky and there's this little yellow dot soaring around like an eagle. Now, my first reaction was, you dirty rat, you can't fly. <laughs> and before you come and ask me afterwards, he never did come back because he was released. Why would he come back? But there he was, soaring like an eagle. And this is what I realized right there in that moment. The only reason Peter couldn't fly, or I thought he couldn't fly, was because he was confined to a way of living that he was never designed to live. He was, he was confined to a way of living. He was conformed to a way of living that he was never designed to live by. And when he got into that space, when he was freed to be who he was made to be, where he was made to live it out, boy, could he fly. And my prayer for everyone in this gathering this morning, no matter who you are, is that you will understand that you were made for something much greater than the story you're writing for yourself. You were made for the grand and glorious story of God, to be his child, to represent him in the world in the unique way he's created you. And he's given you the nations to be concerned about and to live in. Step into that space and you will find, though it will not be easy, it will be the place where you will feel the pleasure of God being who you've been created to be because that is what you were made for. Father, would you open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to these truths in your scripture about your grand and glorious story that you've written us into. Lord, would you raise up people from this gathering to be 
that not just here in Minneapolis and the surrounding area, but also in the nations around the world that have yet to hear of your glorious name. May you uh, raise that up in each of our hearts. That the, and, 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 and as we answer this question, am I surrendered, that our hearts, our minds, our lives, our purposes will be surrendered into your grand and glorious purpose for the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.